My name is Dave Oppenheim. I'm an alcoholic. This is uh, this was a surprise. <laughs> but Alcoholics Anonymous will throw you a few surprises. I got used to terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair, so that wasn't a, that that wasn't a surprise. But uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you're minding your own business, and I want to thank Pat for asking me to be the fill-in, which means I didn't have th- uh, four, three or four months of thinking in order to fulfill my commitment, you know, and thinking about what I was going to say. And uh, I probably have the same amount of notes already, too, I, for the, with an hour of them, and, uh, which is crazy enough. And uh, my favorite Islander who's doing your steps 10, 11, and 12 talked, uh, talked to Pat and so you only have to deal with me for about 40 minutes. Uh, I'm qualified to be up here, which is nice. I, uh, alcoholism tortured me for about about 15 years, and I'm sober now for 15 and a half years. So if it's 15 miles into the woods, it's 15 miles out of the woods, you know. And uh, but I ain't out of the woods yet. You know, and, uh, and, I, and, and to be totally honest with you, I don't want to be out of the woods. You know, out of the woods would mean going at it alone, and I never want to go at it alone again. You know, there's a, there's a power in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, one that's unimaginable to somebody that didn't deal with what we dealt with. This is our thing. You know, that's why, remember, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. You know, they line it up for us. Remember what we're dealing with. You know, we don't deal with all problems. We got a, a problem. We got a spiritual malady. My spiritual malady means I'm restless, irritable, and discontented without a drink. And then I get a drink in me, a few drinks, which is a very short period of time it takes me to get a few drinks down. Very short period. Brian talked about it today. Where's Brian? Brian here? And uh, he talked about, he talked about, he stole my dad's line today that my dad looked at me. My dad's not a philosopher or anything else. And he said, he looked at me one time and said, you drink like you're trying to put a fire out inside you, you know? And, uh, and that's exa- and it was real profound because that's exactly how it felt. It was like I was trying to kill something that lived inside me and I wanted to drown it out as quickly as possible. So I was mainly a beer drinker. And the reason is, is because 80, probably 80% beer, hard alcohol would make me comp- so insane, it was unbelievable. It would make me 10 times the liability that the enormous liability that the beer drinker already was, you know, because I was drinking hard alcohol as quickly because I was trying to kill whatever was inside me out. And that was really from really the first drink it started. I had an abnormal reaction from the first drink. It wasn't like a decade of, it was not as fun as it once was. No, 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 no. A lot of people break down alcoholism it was it was fun then it was fun with problems and there was just problems it for me it always had problems there was no time where there was no problems you know and uh yo brian did, thank you for one two and three and you guys for all doing all these steps and uh <laughs> look on your face it's funny yeah and uh yeah, things change things change i don't love change but things change and uh and at 17 years old, I remember there's two, there's two 17 years old, I fell asleep. You know, there's a jack-in-the-box on top of the hill, like Hamburger Hill in New Hall, Valencia. And I, and I was 
in line waiting to get food because who wants to go to sleep without a good 4,000 calorie meal and, uh, and uh, drunk. And I passed out and took my foot off the, the brake and slammed the car in front of me. And then so I woke up and I'm going, oh, God, 17 years old, I hit the car in front of me. And I walk out of the car, I stumble out of the car, and she rolls her, her window down like this much. I go, oh, it's fine. No, there's no problem. She can't even, but she just got rear-ended in a fast food restaurant line. You know what I mean? Like, there were, pl- there were plenty of problems. Her car may not have been one of them, but I'm a walking problem. And then at 26 years, nine years later, you talk about a creature of habit, and I, I'm not a romanticizer of alcoholism at, at all, in case you haven't noticed that yet. The same fast food restaurant, nine years later, I got a DUI in, in the same fast food line, you know, because I'm so belligerent. They were trying to take my order, and, and neither of us were really speaking English. They couldn't understand what I was saying, and I couldn't understand what they were saying, and I got so belligerent that they got even with me. They didn't give the people in front of me their food, and I was stuck because the jack-in-the-box up there, you can't just get out of line. There's a big hill. Uh, this is the next one, a.m., p.m., it's a big hill. And I was stuck. And next thing you know, I see the highway patrol pull up next to, next to us, you know, and, and they're just waiting for me to get out, you know. So I, I go on the five, you know, like, like I'm on cops trying to get away from them, you know, and they pull me over at Calgrove, Cal and the guy pulled me over and said, have you been drinking tonight? And I said, yep, I've been, yeah, I'm wasted. Take me to jail. It's exactly the verbatim. And he, it was the easiest the rest of the cop's life. He, smi- he smiled, and I got in the front seat. He put the handcuffs on me, and we laughed all the way to jail. You know, and uh, <laughs> laughed all, I swear to God. And, and, and in my normal pit, pitch, what happened is, is uh, I, t- I tell this every time, I, I don't put a lot of emphasis on pit- pitiful and comprehensible demoralization. I put more emphasis on terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, and the reason being is be because a, a lady cop uh, patted me down when I got in there, patted me down for the second time for, for some unknown reason, no idea. And I, and I had I'd just woken up, I'd just come to, and I had already pissed myself, but jeans are, are uh, jeans, dark. And uh, she didn't know, and she put her hands right on my wet jeans, and I didn't think I was in any position to tell a cop what to do, so I didn't say anything. And she stuck her hands back like this. She goes, this is something you normally do? I go... Yeah, you know, and, uh, and uh, for a lot of people, that would be on their number one list, at least top ten of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. The problem is with an alcoholic, I can't stop drinking. I cannot stop drinking, you know. I, because of that restless, irritable, and discontented personality, I could stop drinking for periods of time. And this is the real key for you guys that are new about alcoholism and to me, the progressiveness of the illness. When I come back to drinking, it gets even with me. It's worse off than it was before I took the two weeks off. It makes absolutely no sense to a drinker. Like, I was a good boy. You told me not to drink for this amount of time, and I come back, and it's worse, which really means I'm crazier because the amount of drinking I'm doing is astronomical. It's like a water elephant. You know what I mean? It's, it's an unbelievable amount of booze to, quell, to quench this thirst. And I have a tremendous amount of fear. So when they talk about terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, a lot of that was taking place, if not all of that was taking place, in the morning when I came to. I had a feeling like I had killed somebody. And it was total, it was total irrational fear. And the first thing I did, I had a prescription 
for tranquilizers called Klonopin that a doctor had given me because he thought I was crazy and I had talked him into it. He knew I was an alcoholic, but I'm sure he didn't want the liability of me blowing my head off too. So he prescribed Klonopin. So I used to walk around with it in my pocket like, like Linus from the, the peanut gang had a blanket. I had pills in my pocket and would shake them in case I got any motion. You know, I felt any kind of fear or anything at all when I wasn't drink. you know, because I swore off with and without a solemn oath almost every morning. Sometimes I took a morning drink, and sometimes I was 100% committed to reshaping my life in bed. 100%. I did not want to be a loser. I didn't come from losers. I didn't want what I was feeling. And after a while, I knew I was an alcoholic. However, with an asterisk, I think I might be crazy as well. So why should I put the booze down if I'm stuck with a crazy person? It made no sense to me. Absolutely none at all. And uh, so I come into Alcoholics Anonymous uh, 15 years ago, August 21st, 2006, and I walked into a place called the Valley Club in Northridge. And uh, I started following people around. A lot of people put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who, sh who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that we may solve our common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. And then some people say it's a 12-step program. Well, there's a 12-step program of recovery that in order to be in the fellowship, you, there's 12 suggestions to take. There's other suggestions, but those are 12 that we all have in that commonality which we refer to on a wall. Have you taken this? And you kind of know where the person's at. If you're on step four, you're about to find out that you're full of a tremendous amount of resentments and even more fear. And a lot of us have absolutely no idea that that's the case. I had a whole wardrobe of no fear shirts. Therefore, I have to be immune to the to fear, you know, and uh, that wasn't the case at all. And uh, so, you know, Steps, steps eight and nine are something me and my buddy were talking about it beforehand. You got one, two, and three, which is baffle me because I didn't believe in God at all. There was no God. I, I mean, now I was beaten to the state of reasonableness, and now I'm, I'm willing to take a look at I wasn't belligerent when you believed in God, just the way you approached it. So it was a different, it was a different deal. And then four and five, I got to see like I like I said, the fears and resentments that were controlling my life. Six and seven really didn't, I didn't understand at all, so I kind of glossed over them at first. You know, I still wanted to be on real action steps. Give me a definitive action that I can go to. And eight is one of those things. You make a list of all the people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So there's that word willingness again. You know, I made a list of all persons, all persons. My very demeanor walking into a room should have probably offended you. You know what I mean? Because being full of that much fear, you would think that somebody's shuddering in a corner, and that was not my deal. I was there to maybe not on purpose ruin your good time, but I could ruin it real easy. You know what I mean? If I, you know, real, real, real easy. And uh, step eight is really cool because it, it slows you down before you go into step nine. It gets, you, it gets you to a point where you're putting pen to paper before you start launching into something that you haven't put any thought into at all, and you start ringing people's doorbells. You know what I mean? And you ain't selling cookies. You're, you're ringing people's doorbells, and next thing you know, you want their undivided attention, 
and you may not be received for anything other than maybe an al-Qaeda looking individual. You know what I mean? You may, it may not be the person that, that they wanted to see most in their life. And uh, so it slows you down, and, uh, and there, like I said, there was a tremendous amount of people, and usually the top people were the people that love us the most, that had to deal with years and years and years of our personalities and our erratic behavior, you know, just absolute erratic behavior, you know. And, uh, and uh, so I did that. It seemed pretty easy, you know. It's like, you know, I'm never done with this step, so the step always the hardest part about this step is going back and actually putting pen to paper after you did what you thought was a step nine and then going, oh, I left that person off the list and then to have to make the find the list or just make a new list. The thing is, the reason we do this is to become a free man from alcohol. That's, that's, that's the number one reason we're doing this because without doing this kind of thing, without looking at myself, I can't become a free man. I'm always going to need that drink. So step nine, now they direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Uh, like I said, it's first of all, it started, it started with people that probably needed it the most. You know, it wasn't one of those things where it was just like, I, did, I never had a good relationship with my mom. But by this time, by st- I had seen really early on that I had become the number one problem in my life. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't my dad. I was the biggest liability in my life, and really the biggest liability I could ever imagine. You know, the biggest liability I could ever imagine was myself. And uh, so I, walking into that, I was kind of disarmed in any way that that any of their person, because it, it talks about it in the 12 and 12. We're dealing with a lot of these people. We're not dealing with saints. You know, we're not going to, we're not dealing with, oh, we're dealing with people with other personality issues. You know, we're not 100% responsible for some of this stuff, but as far as we're concerned, we are. You know, it's time for us to, to be 100% accountable to the whole process. So I made an appointment with my mom, and she started to know what I was going to do, and I, dude, she couldn't have been more uncomfortable throughout that process. You know, just, she wanted me, she wished me to the cornfield. You know, she wanted me to shut my mouth as quickly as possible, but I had to, I was there. I was there. I made an appointment, you know, I was there to do that. And, uh, and, and I did it now. A lot of these things, you know, look, we don't live in fantasy land, you know, so you're going to make amends to some people. Like I made amends to some people and the, the relationship might may or may have not become better for a little while. Some people are not a fit. And some people, the relationship's not going to mend to where you think it should be. They're not going to take it, or the relationship is just off. So when I walked away from doing that, I, uh, I remember feeling unbelievably anxious, you know, unbelievably anxious. And uh, what do we do? We get to an AA meeting. You know, and throughout the whole process, I'm never alone in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm always telling you what I'm going to do or what I'm about to do, just as long as I do it. I was on the phone with you guys all the way up to her house, and after I made the amends, I reported back. It's a crazy thing at Alcoholics Anonymous because our relationships were so were in so deep. There's a history there. There's a history where you could pull up my accomplishments and I could pull up your accomplishments and go, "Remember when you did this?" So it's not all doom and gloom, you know. But uh, like I said, the relationship though, it just it never it never really totally got back on track. You know, just never got back on track. I, uh, 
I got married sober. I, I got married when I was uh, almost four years sober. And I had dated this girl before. I can't believe it. It, it talks about in the book that we alcoholics get some of the best women for some reason, the best women are attracted to us. It's like, it's unbelievable. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but that's the case with a lot of us. And uh, when I was 20, I was dating this girl who was younger than me, and she broke up with me because she said I smelled like her dad who was a drunk. She, you know, it's, just, it's one of those profound, another profound thing when somebody says, you smell like my dad. I knew her dad was a drunk. Two years after, or three years after that, her dad ended up blowing his head off from alcoholism. You know, and I knew he was a complete drunk. He spent most of his life in Dachshund. My wife was a really good uh, collegiate soccer player, and her dad went to two of her soccer games ever from AYSO up. You know, he's just one of these a drunk. You know, and uh, and that always hurt her and this and that. So uh, it's amazing. She called. She heard I was sober, and she called me, and we started hanging out, wasn't even dating because that was another, that was another fear of mine, you know, just having a relationship and, but having to make amends to her, remembering what I had done. She broke up with me when I was 20 years old. And you know how we are with our egos, man, you break up with me. I'm going to do anything in the world to get even with you. You know, just anything I can do to get even with you. It's unbelievable. So I was living in San Diego. She came down to San Diego to visit a friend and she called me as I was watching fights and drinking. You know, that's not a good combination for a guy like me at all. It's like a pit bull with a raw piece of steak. You know what I mean? She called and said, oh, yeah, you, come on over. You know, come on over. <laughs> come on to the lion's den. Bring some meat. And, uh, and as the night progressed, I decided to get eat more, you know, more even, you know, whatever it was. And I remember getting her into the room and I said, I'm not the person to fuck with. You know how it is. You know, when, you, when you're absolutely going after a jugular vein without going after a jugular vein. And I, and I named everyone in her family and told her how I would kill them. You know what I mean? As, and I, and I, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't leaving that room, by the way, either. That, that lasted probably two or three hours. And I, I had a defense attorney buddy I met in AA. He goes, dude, if, you, if she would have pressed charges on you, you would have got like 20 years of kidnapping for that shit and every other thing, terrorist acts and da-da-da-da and the whole thing. And, you know, all I was doing was just trying to get even. You know, and uh, I was just true. I was just proving a point of how fragile and sensitive I am, and you don't screw with me and don't come around as I'm, uh, as I'm, as I'm drinking and watching fights. And, uh, and I knew I, had, I needed to make amends for her. She called, believe it or not, after that, she heard I was sober, and she called me. And uh, she already had a kid. She had a kid who was four years old at that time, and I, didn't do, I don't do kids. You know what I mean? Anything more selfish and self-centered than me, I don't do. I don't need the competition. You know, I don't need that kind of... I don't need that competition in my life whatsoever. Probably she's a mom, and probably that kid is probably going to come before me in the pecking order and don't need it at all. But you're a sweet girl and this and that. If you didn't get knocked up, we may have a, a, a chance in the future. But it seems like he ain't going anywhere, so I don't think we do. You know, and, uh, and she, she put, you know, she, uh, she never put a lot of pressure on me. And my first date was with her, we went to the Raptors, and I didn't even get sober. And, the Santa Cruz Valley, like I said, I got sober in Northridge. And, uh, but the only place, I was 15 months sober when I started dating her, the only place I was comfortable was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. So you couldn't even get me out of outside. You couldn't, you couldn't, she really didn't have a life anyway. She was a single mom. So it wasn't like she was like bringing me, don't, don't get too sensitive over there. You know what I mean? We got a bunch of feminists over there in the corner. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No life for the single mother. Come on. Oprah, hello, Oprah. And, uh, and 
So the, the, the woke movement is always amongst us somewhere. And, uh, and uh, so, but she, she didn't have a lot going on. It was like, you know, she was a working mother, a school teacher. And, and uh, so the only place that, like I said, I felt comfortable was an AA meeting. And, and the first time that I ever really hooked up with her, we went to uh, three people at AA's birthday party in the Valley. And that was my, that was my group, man. That was my clan. That was, that was the only place in the world that I had ever been sober, you know, with any success as Alcoholics Anonymous. People love me and I love them because we all cared about the same thing, a fellowship. We all had the same design for living and we all had the same things in my in my stay sober and help another alcoholic achieve sobriety and a tight knit group does that. So I was introduced to a really tight knit group in AA. That was a power greater than myself for a guy who had a very hard time believing in God. Cause it wasn't like a 15 minute thing. You know, you weren't talking about, you weren't, you weren't going to talk God into me. You know, it wasn't one of those things where you're going to sit me down and be like, after we're done with this conversation, you will believe in God. <laughs> it's not that right. It's not that at all. Uh, it was it was a process. Believing in God was a process, but believing that you believed in me and wanted the best for me for, with a non-profit motive was not a pro- was not a process really at all. You know, it was a uh, it was I can't believe that all you know all kinds of people from different ages because Alcoholics Anonymous age is 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 somewhat irrelevant. You know, it's a weird thing. Race is somewhat irrelevant. Sexual orientation, somewhat. I mean, you could literally list everything. If you want to get sober and you're an Alcoholics Anonymous, we discard all our prejudice and bias in order to jump over the table and say, how are we going to formulate a plan where alcoholism doesn't do what alcoholism is going to do with you no matter what? It's a really strange phenomenon that really only happens in AA, as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure it happens in some religion too, but I'm not. I'm not here to talk on behalf of religion. I'm here to talk on behalf of AA, what I know. And uh, so I got sober at the Valley Club at a, at a three, o'clock, uh, 3 o'clock meeting, and I walked in there Monday, August 21st and at 2.10, and, I, and then thank God I didn't speak Alcoholics Anonymous whatsoever. I didn't know there was another meeting happening. I walked in. I go, is there a meeting? I don't even know if I said up there a meeting. The guy just looked at me and knew I had, I had that clueless look on my face. You know? And he goes, so there's another meeting here. It starts at 3, and I go, all right. The problem is, it's 2.10. I got 50 minutes of excruciating sober time with myself. You know what I mean? Amongst other people. I might as well be on a different planet, you know, and uh, sit down and and wait. You know, wait. I don't want to talk to anybody because fear is running through my veins and just uncomfortability. And uh, I stood up. And this Valley Club meeting at 3 o'clock, I started really taking stock in it. And there was a ton of court cards in that in that meeting. I mean, it was, it was 80% of it was court cards, but there was guys that my age and sobriety that were trying to get sober and we were rooting for one another. We were rooting for one another. And it was, it's crazy how it works. A guy came in with, who had five years sober, did whatever he did, started drinking again. And he, uh, was going to blow his brains out. He called the two couple guys he knew from Alcoholics Anonymous. They they sat with him the whole, he wouldn't come to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, but they sat with him the whole week and babysat him. And then he came in on a Monday, the three o'clock meeting I was at. And seeing a guy in that kind of shape and, 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 and taking stock in their lives. So I'm listening to him. He's listening to me. And next thing you know, I got the courage to go up to him and compliment him on a share. You know, it's one of those, it's one of those things. How, how are relationships formed? Well, human beings communicate. 
in a lot of different ways, but verbally is one of them, obviously. And I walked up to him, and I don't want to be vulnerable at all. So giving a guy a compliment, especially an indiscriminate compliment, you know what I mean? It's one of those very vulnerable walking up to a guy and going, and I didn't know how to give a compliment, really. You know, I knew how to give a drinking compliment. I love you, man. I know how to do that real well, but I don't know how to give a sober compliment, you know, walking up to a guy. So I go, you know, I remember going up to the guy and going, I really like what you shared when you shared it the other day. And then I'm, and I'm giving him a here seat and I'm turning away so I can't see his eyes. So I'm not as vulnerable as I sound, you know, and, uh, and he's doing the same thing. I like when you share it too. We're probably hearts and emoji hearts before emojis in the back of our head, you know, and, uh, and we both got away with it and the lightning didn't strike, strike either one of us. And, uh, and just those kind of acts. And then next thing you know, see, we don't call ahead now, call Anonymous. You don't know the next meeting you go to, who's coming in. We don't make reservations. We don't do any of that shit. So if I have an empty seat next to me, that might get filled up with the best friend I ever had on the planet I never met because I actually go out and I get this person's, I make them feel comfortable in a fellowship that's going to save their life. How does that look? My name is Dave, da da da, da. get their phone number and call, call, try to welcome them in, try to get them because we're fighting a beast. We're fighting a beast. And where does that beast live? That beast doesn't live out here. It lives right in the middle of our head, you know? And, uh, you know, just admit, knowing, you know, that uh, you're sending a, when I walked in there and I got news for you, all of us are cowards when we walk into AA. I mean, it's a, it's a coward. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. By definition, I'm a coward, you know, and that's not one of those things. It's really easy to, to, to swallow. I'm a coward and I have to do certain things that are going to make me courageous. I don't even know what it is, but they're, they're usually the steps are outlined in a meeting in a certain, in a certain area where everybody could see them. But the Raptors is a little different. You're at the podium, you're looking at it, or you kind of look back, it's kind of facing the podium. It's different just because of the shape of the room. But in the Valley club, it's like, I'm, I do sales for a living. And if I, if I walk into a guy's office, a CEO, and he's got a big marlin behind him, chances are he likes to fish, right? You know, chances are that's important to him, you know? And uh, so you see where everything's lined up in a room and the steps are right there. And this step takes a ton of courage to go through, eight and nine, not eight as much. Eight is seeing what you're about to get into and nine, am I willing to do it? I'm willing to take pen to paper but am I willing to ring the doorbell and wait for those excruciating 15 to 20 seconds before someone opens the door and we exchange pleasantries, even though they see it ain't pleasant at all. It wasn't pleasant what I did to be here, you know, and if it was, I wouldn't be here, but you're not talking about a pleasant human. You know, you're talking about someone that had a decade and a half, if not more of, of screwing up my life. You know, alcoholism got so bad for me, that there's a, it came with different phobias. You know, if it's talk about a progressive illness, I heard it the other day, somebody was saying, you know who it was, Anthony Bourdain, he was one of us, you know, and he was talking about, I, he's got this documentary, it's called Roadrunner, and he was talking towards the end of his life, before he took his life, he was telling people, uh, he's living in New York City, and when he's living, you know, that was his primary, he was all around the world, but his primary residence was in New York City. What a place to become agoraphobic. You know what I mean? And, 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 and boy, do I understand that. Man, my life got so small with so much fear that I couldn't do daily activities. I couldn't do daily activities. So what does that mean? 
if I walked out in front of my the place I lived and there was somebody going out of their driveway three doors down, I would walk back in and wait them out. I would wait I would go back in and wait them wait them out and then come back and God forbid they were dilly dallying. I could be doing that shit all day long. You know what I mean? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, and just a colossal waste of time trying to vacation for myself, you know, but I had already sworn off every, almost every morning that I, that I woke up, I swore off with and without a solemn oath. It's amazing that those guys wrote that book and knew exactly what the hell was happening in a dude's head that's trying to get sober in 2006, you know, in the 1940s. Same illness, exact same illness, same progressiveness, same grips of a progressive illness, same if you don't walk into this fellowship and identify, because identifying is one of the key components of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's, that's why th- this is not therapy. This is not therapy. This is get busy. This is get busy quick. You know, we don't, you, you know, it's not one of these things where it's a, a, they tell us to avoid the deliberate manufacturer misery, avoid it. So what does that mean? Uh, you know how we are. We can start getting narratives in our head, which are complete and utter bullshit. Oh, I'm going to be, I need to be miserable. I'm new. I'm new until I'm one year sober. I just, I'm new. Victim, victimization. You know, we're not here to be pussies. I'll tell you right now. You know, and I hope that doesn't offend you, but we're not. You know, we get, we get busy and we get busy quick in Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're waiting, you're, you're cheering for the competition. You know what I mean? You get busy in here. We hang together and most of us will surely die alone. We do a lot. This whole, this whole retreat is based around hanging together. You know, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of this retreat for me is not my, not running up to this weather and this and that, and it's not my cup of tea. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not one of those things where it's like, I'm dying to do it, but I know in order to be part of the game and, and I, and I know how much Pat and others put into this process, man, how much it means to them, how much it means to them and how much work that they do to keep this fellowship alive and well, you know, because if, if, you know, there's ways we could screw this up. You know, in this whole COVID thing, what was going on, I, uh, you know, the doors closed in a lot of places. The doors purely closed. And it was a panicky time for people whose dependence was upon the fellowship. You know, what do we do? We got no brick and mortar. What do we do? And a lot of people went to different, uh, different lines of communication. They could sit at home. They can, put, they can do whatever they want to do. And other people, that wasn't working. Because that wasn't the model I was used to. I'm used to the handshake model. I'm used to the hug model. I'm used to, you know, I'm used, I want to see your eyes. I don't even like when people text me. I got a new guy said, you know, he wants to, he asked me to sponsor him. I said, don't text me. Don't text me, dude. Don't text. We're not, we're not, we're not, first of all, we're not even close to that part of our relationship where you text me. You know what I mean? Don't, not even close. And I'm not giving you a date that may ever, ever happen. Yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things, man. You're watering down a fellowship. You know, a phone is bad enough. It's having to get to see someone's eyes are the prime time position. What am I looking at? What am I looking at? Because I've seen enough drunks to know certain kind of behavior. You know, you could, we could run in a room. We could run in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, dude, by just sitting against a wall. Run, still driven by a hundred forms of fear, you know. And uh, so the accountability measure, 100% accountability, is that's that's it. You know, I got to be 100% accountable 
to this fellowship if I want everything. If I, as long as I put alcoholism as my number one problem, everything else becomes A1 as a result of going after what I need to go after. And that sounds like a load of shit to a new guy, I'm sure. And it, it, I'll tell you right now, it's 100% the truth. As long as I'm putting that, my number one problem is alcoholism and the solution ahead of everything else, everything else is doable. Everything else. You know, I, uh, you know, I got it. Like I told you, I got, this is, I'm, I'm not a guy who's ever going to get married. How much time do I got, Pat? I'm not a guy who's ever going to get married. I wasn't one of these guys who's ever going to father children or anything else. It was just, it, it, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, I'm lucky, I was lucky to live to, I got sober two weeks from 30 years old and I, I was already washed up. And, uh, I gave a guy gave me his business card in Alcoholics Anonymous. This ain't God working in my life. I don't know what I don't I don't know what God is. I just don't know what God is. A guy gave me I, I was I was a part time salesperson was that was scared of people. That ain't gonna bring that ain't gonna bring home the bacon by any means. You know what I mean? Because fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We that's one of our fears as drunks is people. If not, what you know? It, it absolutely is. And uh, and. A guy gave me his business card and had insurance. I'm in the insurance industry and it said insurance, da 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 on it. And I started working with this guy like a couple months after. And you know how it is, man. Change and responsibility. And I'm almost a 30 year old baby Huey and, you know, uh, used to the environment that I'm into. And next thing you know, I'm an accountable. I'm going into an office and, uh, and people are ho- holding me accountable for, I don't know, capitalistic ventures, you know, and uh, walking through. All the fear. I mean, look, there's fear to walk through. There's fear to walk through. We do that together. I don't care what you do at halftime or whatever you want to call your sponsor. There is no excuse in the world to drink. Absolutely none. You know, and I'm telling you, as a drunk that was riddled with fear, how I'm walking you through it. Walking you through you know, what's next? Well, dude, you got to be, you know, self-supportive through your own contributions, self-supporting through your own contributions. That means I got to get a J-O-B that's consistent. Absolutely. You do a J-O-B that's, you know, consistent. So I had to go do that. But next thing you know, there's something else. And in and, and the life 15 years later doesn't even resemble the one in 2006 because I kept waxing on and waxing off like the karate kid. You know what I mean? It was like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. God, I don't think da da da, because I could form a, a phobia in my head. They, I'm not doing good, da da da. Yeah, go back there until they take you out of there in handcuffs. Go back there tomorrow. Go back. Keep going back. And uh, I started, like I said, I started dating that girl. I married that girl. I'm a step, uh, a stepdad, you know, to an 18 year old kid today. And I never ran. I never ran from the situation. And sometimes I almost blew that thing up too. You know, it hasn't been all cookies and cream by any means because we're dealing with a personality that sometimes ain't cookies and cream. You know, but the one thing I didn't do, I didn't drink and I didn't run. You know, I didn't drink and I didn't run. And that's what I'm telling you. So many, so many drunks that I watched blow it out of the water and they disappeared. What happened to da-da-da-da? Don't know. What do you think happened? He put on his running shoes and not like my friend Jim, he went for the wrong kind of run. You know, he went for the wrong kind of run, the one that has nothing to do with accountability, the one where they go get to hide. I don't want to hide today, you know. I don't want to hide. I, uh, 
these steps, you know, and I probably haven't talked enough about them, but uh, it says good judgment, a careful sense of timing is is prudent for for step nine. Good judgment and a careful sense of timing. Now, I'm not a huge uh, careful sense of timing guy because I want to, I jump into things with a cannibal. You know, I jump into, I want to make sure they're done. I, 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 I'm, I get scared of too much thinking because thinking poisoned my whole career for a long time, drinking and thinking. It did nothing for me. So I could probably do a lot more careful sense of timing, but it's not my forte. You know, it's really, it's, it's really not. And I think I'd rather, I'd rather get something done than not do it at all. You know, and it doesn't mean I'm running around hurting people. I'm not doing that. But at the same time, you know, I, uh, I'm accountable. Like I said, I'm accountable to this fellowship, you know, and that's a, that's a huge part of, of my career. And you know, the, the love you get when you come up here, you know, I got a, a, the first year, you know, you watch, you watch the fellowship grow around you. The first year I, I came up here was about I don't know, four or five years ago. And I knew I was kind of astonished about the amount of people that I, that I didn't know. I knew probably say 25, 30% of people. And now I know it's always a, a certain amount of people that you don't know, and which is cool in this, in, in this retreat, but I know 80% of people cause I got skin in the game. You know, I go to consistent meetings. I'm not a guy that just shows up to AA meetings. I'm not a guy that loves every AA meeting. Like, was it an AA meeting? Then it was good. And that's not my case. You know what I mean? I go to consistent AA meetings where I know consistent people and I got consistent relationships. I believe in the power of the group. I, I know how attractive the group is. And when new guys walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, they feel the camaraderie or the lack of camaraderie that's happening in the meetings. They can literally they feel the vibes. They know when we're full of shit. And they know, you know, when there's actual genuine love for another man. You know, I don't run from that today, man. That's that's a huge deal. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have a woman that knows that, that look, Alcoholics Anonymous is, you know, and, and sobriety is number one and Alcoholics Anonymous is in that package. You know, that I, I don't, you know, again, I don't run. And, uh, you know, the drive, the drive up here is always a, a unique experience. He's got four drunks in a car, or five drunks in a car, or whatever it is. And, and it's, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, you get, you get, you get, you get all kinds of different experience, strength, and hope. You know, my experience, strength, and hope may not be your experience, strength, and hope. It may not be, look exactly alike. But the camaraderie is just unbelievably thick on weekends like this, dude. Because you know why? We're all up here, and I have no excuse where I got to run. You know, it's just like, especially in weather like this, it looks like the shining is being, the shining too is being filmed out here. You know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's like, nope, you're fine where you're at right now. Not only do we say it, Mother Nature says it, and she's got, you know, the ultimate say so. You know, and. Uh, so once again, I, I, I thank you guys. I thank Pat and, and uh, my Paul is going to absolutely murder it. We've been looking forward to taking bets all day how, 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 how far he's going to crush it out on 10, 11, 12. Thank you guys very much. Oh.